Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for this time to come and to worship you. And we thank you for the testimony of our children who have accepted Christ and who are following through in believer's baptism. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Layla, who is dedicated today uh, as her parents commit to raise her in the faith. And Lord, for our children who have taken the time to learn the big God story and to understand the Bible from the beginning to the end. God, we, we say thank you. And, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do through their hearts and their lives as they instill the Word of God into their spirits. And so today, Father, I pray that we would take your words and that you would take them and engraft them into our hearts as we listen and receive and seek to know you better. And, Lord, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you, that you would draw them by the power of the Spirit this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I want to start off today... Uh, with our creed or with our confession, as we call it. And uh, we typically do this during the Christmas and Easter season. And uh, I, I know many times people will come and say, now, you didn't do that exactly right. And what it is, is it's a, the version of the Apostles' Creed. We've just changed a couple of words from what maybe some of you have typically learned. What most people don't understand is the Apostles' Creed uh, started back uh, probably in the late first century, the early second century. And uh, the oldest version we have is called the Old Roman Creed. And what we do right here is very close to that. We've just added one line, which is, I believe in God, creator of, of uh, the, the world, basically creator of all earth and things. And, and we've just added creator. That's the only thing that we've add, added to this from the old Roman creed. But many of you grew up Catholic, and there's a version of that that's Catholic. The Church of England or the Anglican Church, they have a version. The Lutherans have a version. The Presbyterians have a version. The Methodists have a version. And in all those versions, they've just changed a word or two. They've added a couple of lines. Uh, in the Catholic rendition, uh, it speaks of Christ ascending to hell. And sometimes people will come up to me and say, why don't you use, why do you leave that phrase out? Or why do you change? the words. Well, my first question I always want to ask them is, how were you raised? You raised Presbyterian? Well, you've got your version. The Methodists have theirs, the Catholic. And actually, the, the Catholic version, uh, the, the, the phrase that I was just mentioning wasn't added uh, until about 500 years later. Okay, it wasn't added till the 6th century. So what we've chosen to do, and a matter of fact, the definition between a confession and a creed is a confession is typically for that particular church and sometimes for that denomination, but for that particular church. And a creed is kind of the universal, uh, the universal creed for Christendom. And so it's meant uh, to understand this is what we believe are the basic tenets of the faith that Christians should believe. So as we recite this, we recite this with almost, not quite, almost 2,000 years of history. And as we do it, we're affirming what we believe as believers. So I want to encourage you at this time to stand with me, and we're going to do our confession slash the Apostles' Creed together. So if you would simply respond back, or, or excuse me, not respond back, to, but say it in unison with me if you would. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He, on the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church, the communion of believers, the resurrection of sin, the resurrection of the body, and of life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Now, one of the reasons that this creed, and then there's another creed called the Nicene Creed. Matter of fact, I'll put those words up there for you here in just a moment. But one of the reasons that we have that creed is because of uh, basically myths or false teachings that were coming in to the church, that were coming into the faith. People were grasping at other ideas and they were trying to include them or they were trying to diminish the basic tenets of the faith. So these creeds were written and were made so that people would know, so churches would know. Matter of fact, uh, from church history, we see that several churches came together and uh, they kind of adopted this creed as we saw it just then. And... uh, they began to, to use that so that they were, their members would know this is what we believe. And then the Nicene Creed came later in 325. And the Nicene Creed was just a really an expansion of the Apostles' Creed. It was an expansion in the sense that it talked more about Christ, who he was, and where he came from. Now, this is important, again, because people began to come up with thoughts and ideas from other religions and things that they thought that would make it uh, more of what they thought it should be. And just like today, there are popular myths that you believe that aren't actually true. You heard them from maybe your parents or your teachers, or you heard them from someone, you heard it on TV, and you think that's true, and you've adopted it. And you go, I don't know that I'd do that. Well, let me give you a couple examples. Have you ever heard this? Humans only use 10% of their brain. That's all they use is 10% of the brain. The other 90%, I guess, is just laying dormant. And it never gets used. That's not true. Actually, William James stated something of that nature back in the 1800s. But the truth of it is, do you know anyone that's had a traumatic brain injury? If you just lost 10% of your brain, it would dramatically affect you. Okay? So some, uh, we use our brain at at certain points in our Day, we might only be using 10% of our brain, but you use them in different times. And I know sometimes uh, my parents thought I only used 10% of my brain. But the truth of it is, you would only have to lose a part of it, and it would have an effect on you. So that's, not, that's actually a myth, but we've heard it a lot. How about this one? The, the original inventor of the light bulb was who? That's what you've been told, but that's not true. Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb. There was a guy... Uh, named Howard Humphrey, who actually invented the light bulb at first. Uh, excuse me, Humphrey Davy. H- Humphrey Davy, who invented the light bulb in the early 1800s. But Thomas Edison took the light bulb, and what he did is he made it clearer, he made it last longer, and he made it affordable where people could buy it. That's the way it works in our economy, right? When, when, when I can get it, that's, that's, that's what we really kind of designate as uh, the originator, but he didn't actually invent it. But that's what we've heard. We've heard that so often that we think it's true. How about this one? The only visible structure from space is the Great Wall of China. You ever heard that one? Not true. No, it's not true. Matter of fact, if you go to the space station, which is about 173 miles from sea level from the earth, uh, they can make out the tips of some mountains and and they think even a pyramid, uh, a couple of pyramids, but you can't see the Great Wall of China. 
Where'd that come from? Well, that came again from a guy who lived in the early 1900s before we sent anybody to space. And uh, he stated that he thought from space that would be the only visible object. And so we've just continued for 100 years uh, with that. And now that we've been to space, we know that that's not true. But still, some people believe it. How about this one? Pigeons will blow up if they eat rice. So we don't put rice at our weddings anymore. I remember them telling me that. Oh, don't do rice. That's not, you know, that's not environmentally friendly. And pigeons, they eat it and they blow up and they die and they're dead pigeons everywhere. Have you ever seen dead pigeons at a wedding? No. And neither do we. Okay. And so now we're throwing flowers or, or baking soda or whatever it is that we throw now so pigeons won't eat it. And that's actually not true. All right, pigeons can eat rice very well. Thank you very much. I think the bean manufacturing company came up with that. But nevertheless, pigeons can eat rice. How about this one? My mom used to say, are you blind as a bat? Bats bats are actually blind. Now, they do have the echolocation and they're colorblind, but in the dark, they can see better than you and I can. So bats aren't actually blind. And then kids, here's one your parents probably told you. And they mean well by telling you this, but maybe you've heard this one. If you swallow that piece of gum, it'll be in your body for seven years. It'll never leave. That's not true. Okay, that's a myth. Chewing gum. Chewing gum looks like a bat. Uh, Chewing gum uh, actually doesn't stay in your system for seven years. Uh, it, It is true it's not digestible. It doesn't digest very well, but it'll come out just like a quarter or marble or other things your kids may swallow. Okay? So those are myths that we've heard multiple times to the point that many of us just think those are facts. Well, that's what was happening with the faith. Therefore, the creeds were put in order so that people might know what it was that Christians believe and what the Bible taught. Matter of fact, specifically in a time where Bibles were not really available. So as we do our confessions, as we recite these creeds, those are important. Now, I want to show you a couple of those, th- those creeds. Just if you want to write them down, you can have them. Uh, those two that we talked about, the first one, the Apostles' Creed, and then the second one is the Nicene Creed. Now, I actually have a copy outside as you leave. If you want to pick a copy up of it, the Nicene Creed is much longer. You're welcome to have copies of that. But I think those are great documents of faith, and uh, they are very helpful and informative for us as we grow in our faith. Now, what I want to do now is I want to give you about 10 verses that I feel like every Christian ought to know. As a matter of fact, in a perfect world, you'd memorize these. Now, the first two are a little bit harder to memorize, but these are 10 verses everybody ought to know. And there's a Bible underneath your seat. If you want to grab that, I would invite you to look at these, or if you want to write notes, I invite you to do that. But, uh, you know, for our children, we want to make sure our children know these 10 passages, at least are familiar with them and know where they are before they graduate from high school. And these are 10 passages I feel like every believer in Christ ought to know. So let's start with the first, the first two, which are also creeds. Now, these are creeds found in the Bible. I want to start with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. This is a creed that, that still good Jews recite twice a day. In Jesus' day, they would recite this creed at least twice a day. And it goes like this. Hear, O hear, Israel. The word, O hear, hear means Shema. That's what this one's called. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is one, and you shall love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. When Jesus was asked two different times in the New Testament, what is the greatest commandment? What did he tell them? He said, hear, O hear, Israel. Actually, he just went straight to the second part. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all 
of your strength. Great creed, great passage for us to know. The second one, and this is the oldest New Testament creed we have. Now, scholars estimate that Paul probably came to Christ around 35 A.D., and uh, then he wrote 1 Corinthians sometime in the early 50s A.D., and he already had this. And so this was something apparently that Christians recited. It was something that he was taught probably in Jerusalem. Uh, some even say he, he may have heard it on the road to Damascus, but probably he learned it in Jerusalem. And it goes like this, For I pass on to you this most important what I also received. And here's the creed, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And, of course, that last part is a euphemism for some have died. Uh, And that's a a very, we don't have time to go into it, but that's a great uh, piece on apologetics uh, because a lot of times people are talking about, oh, those are legends and things that rose up long after Jesus died. Well, Paul had already learned this enough that he was writing to the Corinthian church in the 50s, and he had learned it before that. He had been taught this at, at a minimum in the 40s. So we're talking about anywhere from five to ten years after the time of Jesus. So it's not hundreds of years later that these basic facts of the faith were being affirmed. So it's a great creed. Now let's get into uh, a section called the Romans Road. The Romans Road. And the Romans Road kind of gives our gives us our purpose. You know, yesterday I did a funeral right here for a guy named Bob Martin. Bob Martin has been a faithful member of our church for 11 years. He uh, kept our sound going in the early days when we, were, we didn't have any money and we had a, a little three or $4,000 sound system. We were putting it in the back of a, a truck and leaving it there all week in, in this trailer, actually, where it would heat up and then it would get banged around and he would continually fix it for us. And then he got here. He got our air conditioning fixed and and, uh, and we're, matter of fact, today you are cool because of what Bob Martin did, okay? Because there wasn't a person in our church or our staff that knew how to work our thermostat for some reason. And uh, he had to go in and reverse engineer it, our sound, our lights, our audio. He has just put in countless hours, but most people don't know who he is. You know why? Because he was always serving the background for the glory of God. He also put our sermons on something called Sermon Audio. And today, uh, there are, Bob, what, 25, over 25 countries who hear our messages every week in China, uh, in Malaysia, in uh, Australia, all different parts of the world right now. And that's all because of Bob. And one of the most ex- times I've seen Bob, he was most excited when he saw how many people were downloading sermons all over the world. Matter of fact, we've had close to almost 60,000 now that have been downloaded. And that's all thanks to a guy named Bob. You know why Bob did that? Because God, Bob didn't just serve for a reason, he served for a purpose. Now, what I mean by that, and I shared this yesterday at the funeral, a lot of us, we just live because of reason. I get up in the morning because I have to go to work. That's the reason. And I go to work because I need to pay my bills. That's the reason. And I pay my bills so that I can live in this house and have this car. And I go to church. Well, the reason I do that is because I'm a Christian. I serve because it's my turn. And we just kind of have reasons for why we do it. But you know what's better than a reason or bigger than a reason is a purpose. Because the reason is usually just short term. I do this, I get this. But purpose is for eternity. 
So I serve God because I want to glorify him. I want to see others come into his kingdom. And that's the purpose for which I exist. You know, as believers in Christ, the Bible teaches us the reason we exist is to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. And Bob understood that. Today, I want to share with you the purpose of our salvation and the purpose of our life through the Romans Road and through a couple other scriptures. Now, the Romans Road, this is an excellent group of scriptures for everyone to memorize and for your children. They're simple verses, and they take us right through what salvation means. Now, I want to start down here with Romans 3.23. And the Bible tells us in Romans 33, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. I remember one of my neighbors telling me one time, you know, I don't sin. And uh, I don't like hearing that word sinner. I'm not a sinner. I don't sin. And, uh, and what they didn't understand is the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. I sin. The other pastor sin. The Pope sins. We all sin. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, and it makes it very clear, that all have sinned. Matter of fact, the real truth of it is we all sin a lot more than we want to even admit or realize. Okay? We're all worse than we think we are. Aren't you glad you came to the right point today? That's, that's the real truth. But the good news is that Jesus is far more loving and forgiving than we could have ever hoped or imagined. So, the Bible says, for all of sin, but the, uh, but the next verse is this, Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages, let me tell you the cost. All have sinned. But number two, the wages of that is death. That is what the Bible has described for sin because God is holy. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, without death. And so Jesus, uh, because of his infinite love for us, died for us. So we see that all have sinned, the price of the sin, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And in Romans 5, 8, if you have your Bibles, you ought to circle this. And again, if you need a Bible, just take one from underneath the seat. This is a great verse, Romans 5, 8. And you hear me quote this a lot. But God demonstrated his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this version said, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. Before we cared, before we were seeking him, before we had that desire, he died for us. Wonderful, wonderful passage. And then, of course, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If I confess with my mouth. Okay, that means I make it known that Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's what they did right there. I believe that he died. I believe that he came and lived a perfect life, that he was God in the flesh, that he walked upon this earth, that he was crucified and died and was buried, but on the third day he rose again, and I put my faith in him. That word believe, also John three 16, I'll just jump to that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe, that Greek word is pisteo, and what that means is to adhere to, to commit to. Okay, it's, an, it's a complete commitment to it. It's not just, I have a mental assent. I, you've heard people say before, I believe in God. You know what James 2.17 says? That the demons believe and they shudder at the sound of his name. So it's not a mental acceptance. It's a commitment to, all right? And so that's what the Bible teaches us. So those are the wonderful passages. And then Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, so great verses that we have there. Let me give you a couple more. Ephesians 2, 8. 
For you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves as a gift of God. You hear people say this all the time. You know what? I just, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get religion. I'm going to turn my life around. That's not salvation. It's not what God, that's not recognizing you're a sinner and you can't do it yourself. It's not about you getting religion. It's about you coming to the place where you recognize, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And it's only by the grace of God as I give him my faith. Lord, I don't understand everything. I don't know everything, but I trust you. Here's my life. I believe and I commit myself to you. And I ask you by grace to forgive me. Great verse right there, Ephesians 2, 8. Uh, next verse here, and, and a while ago we, uh, we shared a little bit of this, John three sixteen, but John 14, 6. After I, excuse me, uh, John 14, 6 is a great verse because a lot of times people will say, well, aren't there a lot of ways to get to heaven? Aren't there a lot of ways? The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And then 1 John 1, 9, not, not in the Gospel of John, but 1 John 1, 9. As a Christian, how do we live the forgiven life, the peaceful life? Well, this, to me, I believe is an imperative. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession. So easy for us to just say, eh, I don't worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm doing fine. But God asks us to confess, to recognize our sin, Recognize his great gift of grace. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then the final one, our great commission. This is where we take our vision. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where we get our, our mission statement from. Loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. This is what we're supposed to do as believers. Our vision is this, to receive people, to impact their lives, to equip them, and to send people out. That's the story of the gospel, how we come to Christ and what we are to do with our life. You know, in 1943, uh, during World War II, off the coast of South Africa, there, uh, there was a ship, the USS Spate, and my grandfather was on that ship. He was a naval officer, <clears throat> and he tells a story that, and he's passed on now, but he used to tell a story when he was a child or when I was very small, and then my dad would tell it as well. Um, he was asleep one night uh, on the ship, and a torpedo hit it. And he said he was on the top bunk, and it hit so hard that he banged his head that it kind of dazed him. And he said, you know, before I could kind of come to and recognize what was going on, another one hit. He said, and I got down, and I started to hear the dripping of water and, uh, and then another torpedo hit, and uh, he said, my feet were at, he said, I didn't have any shoes on, I was just in my socks, and I knew what had happened. And he said, you know, the sirens began to go off, and we took off, and uh, I got to one of the lifeboats, and, uh, and uh, all of our men ended up uh, getting to a boat except one who was killed from the blast. And a German U-boat had, uh, had hit their ship. And so uh, there were about six lifeboats, and he was one of the navigational officers. So in his lifeboat, they took off, and uh, they were in the ocean about 200 miles off coast. It took them about five days to get to land. And then when they got to land, uh, they walked around for a long time until they finally came upon, as a matter of fact, for days they walked, and finally came uh, to a, a lighthouse. 
Now, what was interesting is my grandfather knew what to do because he was an expert with a compass and a sextant. It was how he was directing, even in the dark, even having been dazed. That's how he knew where to go because he knew how to use his instruments. That's my challenge to you today. This is the navigational tool that God has given us is the Bible. And so I want to encourage and, and I want to uh, exhortate, in a sense, you to learn those ten passages, to learn those basics. And if you want a bonus, learn those creeds. Those are the basics of our faith, and they give us guidance and direction. If you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to come and experience him today. Would you pray with me at this time? Father, thank you so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And I thank you for every man and woman and boy and girl here today. And Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would understand those scriptures that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But you demonstrated your love that while we were sinners, you died for us. But Lord, if we will believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised you from the dead, then we will be saved. So Lord, I pray as we transfer our faith to you and recognize it's not of our efforts, but it's a gift of grace by faith we can experience your grace and forgiveness. Thank you for this time. And Lord, as we prepare to receive our offering, if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray that they would take that step, that they would fill that card out or they'd come by uh, our welcome room and say, I'm ready. I want to know Christ. Just like some of those children said today, I'm ready to know for sure that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Thank you for this time. In your name I pray, amen.